This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we chat about Iguazio and NetApp and how they're revolutionizing the AI ML landscape. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the studio, and actually, it's not really a studio now. Actually, it is. It's my home studio. I have moved the podcast studio out of NetApp and into my house because I have to stay here for an indefinite period of time, as many of you are aware, and also under the same circumstances. But we're going to make this work. So um, today we're going to talk about a company called Iguazio. Um, and to do that, I've invited a few guests and we're doing all this remote. So on the phone with us today from NetApp, uh, Hoseb Demillion. Hi, Hoseb. What do you do here at NetApp and how do we reach you? Hey, Justin. Uh, this is Hoseb. I'm Senior uh, Solutions Manager at NetApp. You can reach me out at HosebDM on Twitter. All right. Also on the phone with us, we have a couple of uh, people from uh, Guazio. So Yaron Haviv, hi Yaron, what do you do and how do we reach you? Hi, uh, I'm uh, I'm Yaron, I'm founder and CTO for uh, Iguazio. You can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, etc. I blog a lot. Uh, my handle is uh, at Yaron uh, Haviv, my full name for Twitter. All right. And also on the phone with us today, Ori Levron. Hi Ori, what do you do and how do we reach you? Hi, Justin. Thank you for hosting us. Uh, I'm a VP of Business Development with Iguazio. Best to reach me is Oriel, O-R-I-L, Iguazio.com. All right, excellent. And we'll include all that information in the blog that we post with this every week. So we want to learn more about Iguazio and what they do and who they are. So there's no one better on this call right now to do that than the CTO. Uh, so your own. Tell us what this is all about. Uh, great. You know, uh, first few words on, on myself for uh, introduction, you know, prior to uh, my days in Iguazio, Iguazio is like four or five years old. Uh, I was a VP for data center and storage activities in uh, a company called Mellanox, a very good partner of NetApp. And um, prior to that, another company called Voltaire, where uh, actually the anecdote was the first customers we had was NetApp. That was a while ago. Uh, so I'm pretty familiar with the, also the NetApp uh, story and storage. I've worked on a lot of uh, storage-related technologies. Uh, with that, you know, what um, Iguazio did uh, is, and doing is essentially building a automated machine learning and data science platform in order to address the problem of moving from research, you know, silos into production pipelines. Because essentially those AI and machine learning uh, things that we're building are designed for serving some intelligent application, where it's something that creates like real-time recommendations uh, or something that detects frauds or something that analyzes sensor data and can predict failures or fix them, uh, et cetera. And uh, the big challenge today is that most of the technologies are serving the technology silo of research. People are running experiments, small scale. Uh, it's not really designed for high availability, production, scale, performance, et cetera. And what Iguaz is really doing is allowing you to develop a solution which incorporates a lot of data analytics and machine learning and build it in a way where in few clicks it actually is ready for production. And, and if you need to upgrade or change or monitor, everything is baked in. You don't need to have all the hassle involved in 
uh, you know, creating those uh, applications. So we initially got, um, I guess, queued into Aguazio from Hoseb uh, on some of our internal DLs, and we were talking about uh, Aguazio. So Hoseb, what kind of brought you into the Aguazio fold there? Um, that's a great question, Justin. I think what grabbed me in Iguazio was, first of all, is the uh, ability to help customers into uh, something new, into something mo- modern, into something that combines their uh, currently existing Hadoop infrastructure um, with AI, ML, and data science platform. So, you know, we met a lot of customers during our uh, DVC Data Visionary Center visits. Um, a lot of customers ask us, you know, we have a lot of or very big Hadoop infrastructure. Um, we have been running it. The question is not that uh, whether we have uh, make, made use out of it or whether it is Hadoop is dead or not. The question is not that. We're not answering that today. It's more of, okay, what's next in this Hadoop world, right? We want to combine AI ML, uh, but we also we are very comfortable, for example, using some of the tools that we have, Spark, um, HBiz, you name it. So I think when we when we researched the market and Iguazio came up, you know, um, it was it was basically an eye opening to to talk to Iguazio team and and see what collaboration we can do together. Uh, and actually, there's a very big value prop over there in the, in the two things I mentioned, where is preserve your Hadoop environment, you know, kind of move it into a modern architecture, um, and then uh, add to it an AI, ML, um, and deep learning pipeline. So you mentioned Hadoop, and that's kind of what I guess the genesis of all this was. So why is why is it important to think about Hadoop right now? Like, what's the what's going on in the market where we have to kind of consider that? Hadoop was uh, the early uh, days of data analytics. It wasn't really about uh, data science, ML, AI, deep learning. There's not not much into it. Uh, what we we see that Hadoop was designed to do essentially sort of data warehousing, lots of data, and reporting and in batch. Everything was sort of batch. And after a while, people started needing to, to do things that are more interactive, you know, real real applications that are, you know, you want to get recommendation on you're going on a website, you want to get the best uh, ad or you want to detect fraud. It's not something that works offline. So uh, over over uh, time, it was starting to stretch its, uh, its limits and then uh, start to have new technologies that are more cloud native, you know, containerized, dockerized. Now, a lot of the code is moving from Java uh, based to more Python, you know, TensorFlow, those kind of things are, are more uh, Pythonic by nature. And sort of Kubernetes comes in and Hadoop is sort of uh, stuck in a legacy sort of batch, they were saying concepts uh, where people are trying to build those cloud native applications that are very interactive, use modern software stacks, they're highly available, you know, they're auto scaling. You see the introduction of new technologies like service, uh, serverless, and elasticity and all those new concepts. And uh, people want to evolve and build their applications on such an architecture. Uh, what we're delivering in Iguazio is essentially the coexistence. What's nice about it that on one end, it's extremely modern. You know, you have serverless functions, you have Kubernetes, you have automation, CI, CD, all those things that are very modern. Um, and side by side with all the Hadoop workloads, we essentially emulate Hadoop environment and Spark and Hive and Preston, all those services on top of our Kubernetes cluster. So the same customer uh, that is used to on one end using sort of batch processing and all that can run it on our solution side by side with building a real application, which is modern, incorporates the latest and greatest deep learning technologies. 
and it all can coexist on a single solution. So you mentioned uh, Kubernetes and automation and all that stuff. So what else is uh, is Aguazio helping enable and, and what does it integrate with in terms of those types of workloads? So first, let's uh, talk um, a minute on the Aguazio architecture. Aguazio architecture is designed around three layers. Okay, The first layer is the data layer, where on one end you have something which is really uh, a real-time database that uh, we design ourselves, extremely high performance, uh, the highest performance in the industry. That, that we have about a dozen patents on it because it emulates memory behavior on, on Flash. Uh, but that's more for uh, you know shuffling data, exchanging data, and building those experiments at scale side by side with NetApp technology that we'll we'll dive into in a minute. So NetApp is essentially becoming sort of the data lake in our solution, uh, in our joint solution. On top of it, you have Kubernetes, which is uh, your ability to create containers and distribute uh, those containers on the cluster. And those containers are running two types of workloads. One we call it managed services which are things like Spark or, uh, or TensorFlow or other things that are managed, databases, et cetera, and side by side with functions, which could be like real-time functions or jobs. Uh, think of Amazon Lambda-like functions, just about 100 times faster because they're designed on a real-time uh, processing engine that we've uh, designed and open source called Nucleo, side by side with functions and know how to crunch machine learning and deep learning and analytics jobs. So very unique, the real project, another open source project of ours called ML Run. And on top of it, you have a full automation suite. So you can essentially go and draw a pipeline, a real-time pipeline of collecting data from a variety of sensors, analyzing it, uh, building uh, predictions on it, and building a full API service on it uh, in a draw by just drawing it or writing it in a few lines of Python code from existing components that are uh, in the system. And all of that has full telemetry and monitoring and uh, artifact management. And we're now introducing OML to essentially do some of the work for you uh, when you're introducing machine learning algorithm. So you have this full stack and uh, Kubernetes is essential because this is the thing that allows us to spawn containers and workloads very quickly and scale them out uh, and down as we need. So this way, it's very elastic, and you only use the resource the amount of resources that, that you need. Especially this decoupling of data from compute, uh, unlike sort of Hadoop architecture, where you essentially just waste, waste servers because you need more spindles. Uh, because we're decoupling the data from the computation, and the vast majority of the data sits on, on NetApp, whether it's cloud volumes or on-prem. And then the computation is elastic using sort of containers that are just allocated for the job and serverless functions that are, you know, if you're not touching them, essentially they, uh, they decommission themselves and they don't require any resources. So that's allowing you extreme efficiency as well as scalability. You can scale computation independently and automatically, and you can scale data uh, independently and automatically and, and all that working in a single system. So you've mentioned Kubernetes a few times here. Um, is that what you're standardizing on? Is there any other? Is there support for any other sort of automation suite, or is that just that's what you use? Yeah, you know, first days. Uh, by the way, we started. We were one of the early members of the CNCF. I think one of the first dozen members of CNCF, uh, and we bet on Kubernetes very early on. Already, I think two years ago or more, uh, our original design was uh, based on Docker 
with our own automation. But after a short while, we figure out that we have to move to something more standard because there's too much work doing it yourself. Uh, we examined all the other architecture at the time. You know, there was Swarm and Mesosphere and others, and we sort of uh, took a bet on Kubernetes when it wasn't really a safe bet in those days. It was like very few people adopted it. And now we're happy, you know, and everyone is essentially using Kubernetes. And there's also a great angle with NetApp because NetApp has good support for Kubernetes and the Trident drivers. And so this allows us seamless integration with, with NetApp through uh, Kubernetes. Excellent. So you've mentioned NetApp a few times, and, and I'm guessing that there's a collaboration with your company and ours. And I'm wondering what drives Iguazio to see the value that NetApp adds? Like what sort of things do we offer that tie in nicely to what you're doing? And so we are uh, working with NetApp and, and also uh, we'll talk about it in maybe a different occasion. NetApp is also one of our customers and using our solution. Uh, but um, essentially when you, you, when you think about it, we're providing elastic computation and a hybrid solution. One of the very unique things about Iguazi, it's, it's a hybrid solution. If, for example, you go to Amazon, you have SageMaker and EMR and those things that are equivalent to our solution. Uh, but if you work with them, then you essentially can only work on, on NetApp. And if you want to do some work in the cloud and some work on-prem or maybe play, out, play with uh, Azure or Google, you're sort of stuck to uh, one set of uh, APIs. So, and it's not hybrid. What Iguazo provides is the same services that you'll find from the cloud providers, uh, sometimes 10 times faster because of our sort of real-time uh, heritage, and, and also in a hybrid fashion. Web customers, one of the banks, for example, is using us in Azure, in Amazon, and on-prem. And that, uh, you know, that's only possible if you're taking something which is neutral, which is not cloud-specific. Now, when you're starting to build that, you see that the big problem is mobilizing the data. Okay, because if I want to do some work in the cloud, some work on-prem, I need a mechanism to replicate the data around the two location. And this is really where one of the angles with um, with NetApp is that first NetApp is hybrid. You know, they you can uh, consume NetApp uh, storage everywhere, whether it's in the cloud or on-prem, uh, whether it's a SaaS or a PaaS. Um, you know, you have all the flexibility there. And second is that you can just mobilize uh, data automatically under the hood. So I can run a training job in the cloud, and then I could run the same job on-prem because NetApp essentially moved the data around. And uh, I think the third um, uh, angle is around old integration around Kubernetes because NetApp has this uh, great integration with Trident uh, and, and all the versioning and snapshot technologies that we can uh, just tie into uh, NetApp technology here we want to run an experiment and and be able to uh, have exactly the same result next time. We can create a, a clone or a snapshot and reuse it the next time we want to go back to that point. So the many different integration points where one plus one equals three. Because uh, we're hybrid, NetApp is hybrid. We're very performance oriented. You know, NetApp is very performance oriented. And, and again, all the strategic uh, work around Kubernetes is also the uh, same for both companies. And uh, from NetApp perspective, I think uh, that's a spot on your own. I think uh, what, what we are seeing also customers looking at is a gradual move from their, let's say, existing Hadoop uh, architectures. You know, the, uh, We're mentioning Hadoop a lot on this call uh, or on this recording. It's because um, you know, a lot of customers have put investments in Hadoop analytics 
um, two or three years ago, and it's the time to uh, refresh it, so renewals. And everyone is, again, asking us what's, what's new, and everyone is also telling us this is not going to be an overnight job. And that's one of the reasons NetApp-Iguazio combination makes a perfect sense because with our um, tools that we use, with our data movers, with our integration, as well as with NVIDIA, with ONTAP AI and the FlexFot AI um, and, and the cloud integrations, we make this gradual move possible for our customers. We understand that this is not going to be a one-day job you wake up in the morning and and you're happy you moved out of it or you're using the same tools but on a different platform and that's why it's important because moving the data is the most critical part and you don't want to disrupt that operation for banks for telcos who have been you know kind of make this platform as their de facto for the past two or three years the teams have been trained on so we make this gradual move possible with our tools with the data, with the containers, and and uh, many different options that we can provide. So you've mentioned uh, AI, and there's another aspect to that, which is machine learning. So what sort of machine learning trends are you seeing out there, in, in including data science trends? Like, what are you seeing with Iguazio, and how are people utilizing it? Yeah, so the again, the biggest thing that we see is the move from uh, research to building more and more online and interactive applications that leverage uh, machine learning and AI. Okay, so again, the first thing that most companies do, they say, okay, you know what, let's build sort of a data lake, like throw all the data in, and then they start crunching it and they generate some nice reports, okay? And they send it to the boss and the boss, you know, that doesn't do much with it. Uh, but really where you extract value from machine learning and AI, you know, think about Google, Facebook, all those companies, they're using it in their uh, real-time applications. You know, they, they respond based on the knowledge about uh, yourself, okay? And, uh, for example, working with a credit card uh, company that analyzes 10,000 data points per customer, and based on that, they can do uh, recommendations that could identify fraud uh, much better, you know? Reminds me of a use case. I was um, landing in SFO and pulling my credit card paying uh, or my Uber app and I'm trying to pay and I got blocked. And that that's amazing because the credit card uh, company should know that I just flew. I have an app on my phone. They should know I'm in SFO, okay? And um, they have all the information to understand that it's not a fraudulent transaction. The reason that it, they blocked me is because they didn't have real-time data about my my movement that they could have incorporated into the decision. So what we understand more and more is people are trying to take this uh, data that they have and build automation using machine learning and AI to build smarter applications. Those smarter applications allow better customer experience, better services, reduction in, in, um, in labor and, and resources and, and all that. The real problem is how do you move from this mindset of building some artifacts in research and reporting something that's really online. But when it's really online, that means that you need to grab data from operational databases like Oracle. You need to um, integrate with various APIs that provide auxiliary data, you know, like weather and, and other conditions, uh, geolocation, et cetera, and incorporate all that, train all that, and essentially have apps that know how to, uh, in real time, respond to uh, a web request, to a sensor alert, et cetera. So the biggest transition that we're seeing is now uh, people invented the term MLOps, and we're also hosting uh, sort of a conference called MLOps uh, as well in New York and San Francisco, you know, 
fortunately now due to the coronavirus, it's uh, so we uh, defer that and we're going to move to more uh, online sessions. Uh, but MLOps is this practice of how do you turn machine learning to something that's really opera operational uh, oriented or operation ready. And the biggest trend is moving to those modern cloud native architectures. So building things into containers, uh, ongoing, you know, things that are have rolling upgrades, canary deployments, all those things that in a live application, I can just swap things out and I can scale out to meet demand and all those uh, new architectures. So that's on the sort of uh, DevOps side, we invented the term MLOps, the industry invented this term, which is about how to create automated machine learning pipelines and continuous you know, development and integration, like sort of the CI CD for machine learning. Um, and this is what we're seeing as a, as a main trend. Uh, along with that, there are more and more automation capabilities of going to the, the game, like AutoML, which is essentially you don't need to be too smart uh, to figure out the algorithm. Essentially, we'll just run in parallel all the algorithms and we'll pick the best ones for you. Or we'll analyze all the data features and see which one has the biggest impact on the results. So, and so this is AutoML. It's another uh, key trend that we're seeing is how to do more and more automation. And this is another place where scale plays into the game. If I know how to distribute this workload of experimenting all those permutations in parallel, I can run the same thing in five minutes versus five hours. And that's one of the, the key things that we're doing because we're based on Kubernetes and scale out architectures. We can just spawn, you know, huge amount of GPUs and containers, run everything in parallel, choose the winning uh, experiments and move on to the next stage. So you mentioned a few areas that you operate in, whether it's um, ver uh, automotive or healthcare and, and financials, right? So what other verticals does Iguazio operate in? Uh, yeah, so we, we work on several verticals. We work with financial services. We have a bunch of customers, uh, hedge funds, banks, insurance companies, uh, etc. Uh, we work with telcos quite a bit on sort of self-healing networks and all sorts of network operator uh, use cases. I mentioned healthcare. We're, we're actually working with uh, the FIBA hospital in, in Israel, which is really where all the corona work is, is uh, centralized. All the so most of the patients are going there and all the um, epidemiologists are, are there. And we're actually now working with them to, uh, to do more analysis on, that, on those fronts. Um, and, and also, again, different verticals, um, and media, entertainment, you know, uh, gaming, apps, uh, churn reduction, or you know, predicting lifetime values of customers. All those applications where things are more sort of online. Who are your major competitors and, and how are you approaching them as they come into the market? Yeah, so our, our biggest competitor is DIY. Um, because if you look at the data science uh, playground, you have uh, many companies that build data science platforms. So they're considered a competitor, but their main focus is the research and experimentation workload. So they provide some way for you to, you know, throw in an Excel spreadsheet or a CSV file and analyze it and provide some nice fancy results with nice UIs. But that's not something that you can essentially go and go and move to production. Because for production, you need things that are containerized, you know, real time, auto scaling, all, all those things automated. 
Um, so what usually companies do, they use those, uh, those uh, data science platforms for experimentation to generate something. And then they bring DevOps people, developers, data engineers, et cetera, to productize the application. So this is where we see that most of our uh, competition is essentially people that say, you know, we're going to build it all ourselves. Um, after a while, they end up uh, seeing that it's not that trivial. It's extreme uh, complexity. It's a very complex stack, many moving parts. It's very expensive to have in-house all those technologies. So that's uh, the first thing that we see. Uh, those uh, vendors that do data science platform as well, they understand that the biggest challenge is operationalizing data science. So they're trying to move to our space as well. Uh, on the same time, by the way, we're trying to move uh, down the stack to more um, provide more and more value also for the research and exploration phases. Uh, so in the future, there'll be more, more competition on that space. I think this kind of thing that we're doing around parallelism and performance and you know, CICD for ML, et cetera, they're way more, way more complicated than building nice UIs on ML. So it will be a big challenge for most of those companies uh, to do so. Uh, we're also partnering with the cloud providers. So although most of the cloud providers will have their own data science uh, tools like Azure, Auto, you know, ML, and uh, and um, SageMaker in in Amazon, those platforms are still in the same category of mainly research and exploration. They have some deployment, but that's nothing near to what we're doing. Um, so what we see is that even in the cloud, uh, in many cases, the cloud providers will work with us. When it comes to things that require more uh, scalability, performance, you know, concurrency, automation, uh, sort of those more uh, online and real-time applications, will will this is where we'll typically have a huge advantage. Uh, just based on some customer examples that we work with, we are at least five times cheaper than Amazon on an end-to-end -end application basis for for some of those use cases. Just because the performance with very few virtual machines can process huge amounts of data. And uh, we're eating Amazon or Azure, you'll just need to, to buy like 10 different services to build something. So you have the complexity of integrating all those components. And then eventually it will be spread out on your bill on many different rows. When you accumulate all those, you'll find that Iguazi is about five times cheaper. So with Iguazio, do you, I guess, do you help simplify the Amazon charges? Do you make it more apparent of where everything's going? Or is it something that you have to kind of monitor from the, the cloud side? Yeah, actually, it's a, it's a very good point. Uh, the way we charge is by uh, virtual machine. The way that Amazon charges is by like TPS and you know there are like five, six different matrix for every service that they're going to measure on. I'll give an example: uh, Lambda functions, uh, the serverless function, it charges if you're if you're going to do like five thousand events per second, which is not a huge, it's not slow, but it's not a huge workload. It's going to cost you $50,000 per month, okay? Uh, if you take our serverless technology called the Nucleo, even with the sort of Python code, you could do 60,000 events per second uh, on a single VM that costs 700 bucks, okay? Just for sake of... Uh, so in our solution, uh, now if you will run with, with the Lambda, you'll just uh, put a huge workload, suddenly you'll see in your bill $100,000, okay? With Iguazio, you still pay by VM, so the the VM cost is 700 bucks, you know, uh, way less. But also the license cost is fixed on top of that 700 uh, bucks. You're paying some uh, few hundred dollars uh, license cost. Okay, so so then it's it's uh, first it's fixed capacity, 
that you're going to pay. You, you don't end up with huge bills and it's also much cheaper. So with this sort of pricing model, I mean, does it make sense for smaller businesses to take on in Guazio, or is that more of an enterprise level thing? Yeah, I think it's not about how big is your company, it's about your workload. If you're uh, messing with a few gigabytes of data and like one transaction per second, uh, you know, go uh, play with other solutions. Uh, the, if you're starting to have more amount of transactions, you need, you care about response time, you care about... You're, you're growing with your data or the complexity of your machine learning um, experimentations, this is where we'll provide a huge uh, benefit. And also, again, uh, the advantage of being on-prem and in the cloud allow you uh, to play with certain things in the cloud, experiment, and then potentially sometimes many organizations have data on-prem which cannot just move to the cloud. You have a few petabytes. Uh, but at the same time, the developers really feel cozy going to Amazon, launching a VM, running some, uh, you know, SaaS service. So what Iguazu provides you is a SaaS or PaaS service in the cloud. You run everything. You take the same code because th those are essentially sort of serverless functions and job, and you run them locally on your real data. So you have the agility for the developers on one end, and you get the security folks and data folks really happy that you're not taking data out into the cloud. So does Iguazio offer any sort of like analysis ahead of time to kind of figure out if it makes sense to go to use your product or is it just something that people try it out on their own? Uh, I think that once people really see the demo of how you build a huge pipeline with like very simple uh, steps, uh, this is usually where they say, okay, we want to just get it and start working with it. Uh, because the... Um, amount of automation that we apply is, is huge. Beyond the performance, which is uh, pretty cool, just the, the fact that you could build very compli complicated pipelines in like a, a notebook, you know, data science notebook that any data scientist can understand. Uh, and under the hood, there's huge amount of automation that creates those containers and service functions and auto scales them and addresses all the aspects of computer distribution, you know, uh, distributed computing and scaling. Um, this is a huge amount of work that there aren't many people, you know, there are many people that know how to write, um, you know, JavaScripts, and there are more and more people that know how to write data science code in Python. There aren't so many people that understand how to build distributed computing in high performance. Um, which And what's unique about us is that we've abstracted a lot of the complexity away. So, Hoseb, you know, you mentioned ONTAP, uh, how they integrate with us. Is there any other thing in the NetApp portfolio that we integrate with? Is it like Storage Grid, for example? Yeah, absolutely, uh, Justin. So, you know, S3, especially in the big data analytics world, is becoming kind of a favorable one, especially if, if you are talking to customers who have been using cloud for their analytics tools. You know, if we're talking about Amazon, then S3 is becoming de facto, and then they would like to have S3 on-premises, easier to spin up, uh, spin down. But, you know, if you think about it, of the integration of the different uh, port portfolio products from NetApp, it's more about, let's let's put it this way. If someone wants to do AI analytics, machine learning, it, you know, they basically, they, they, they are going to use the ONTAP AI or Flexor AI from our side, which is our ONTAP products combined with uh, the NVIDIA GPUs, whether they are in VGXs or they are in Cisco servers or any other uh, OEM server boxes. But what we're bringing now on top of the ONTAP AI or Flex for AI is basically now the AI pipeline. 
And uh, our integration with Trident is also another product in the portfolio that perfectly suits the Iguazio uh, motion here, since you know if we are running uh, on Kubernetes, then the integration of the storage within the pipeline, making data scientists, data engineers access that huge amounts of data uh, by simple clicks on uh, in their Kubernetes or Kubeflow cluster, whatever tools they are using on top of the containers, is becoming very, very, um, uh, very, very needed and and very much you know uh, desired. Uh, for the data engineers, data scientists. Having said that, uh, you know the integration again with the GPUs bring another value, which your own probably can 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 touch base on, which is the GPU as a service. So your own, I know uh, you guys were working on something similar. So maybe you can um, you can you know uh, enlighten that that part of the business as well. Uh, sure, thanks. Uh, you know I've I've presented GPU as a service in several conferences, both in uh, Nvidia, GTC, as well as uh, KubeCon. Uh, the big challenge that many people have, you know, uh, GPU is a, is a sort of expensive, it's very powerful. You can get huge amount of parallelism for especially deep learning uh, algorithms, but now more and more even with machine learning algorithms and data and analytics code using the NVIDIA Rapids library. Uh, the problem that's still, uh, the you know, while you can take CPUs and card them and, uh, you know, create like virtual CPUs and every container will get its fair share, it's much harder to do so on a GPU. Uh, so one of the things, because we have sort of dynamic scaling and movement, and we have sort of real-time data fabric where we can run the same application around five containers or one container, just the same. So one of the things that we, we did is saying, you know what, when you're running a job, what we do, we automatically dynamically allocate GPUs for that job from a pool. We distribute the application around those uh, few containers that run the applications run the job, when it finishes, we sort of snapshot all the data from the job, collect all the data from the job, and free up the GPUs. So that means if I have a, a dozen of GPUs, I don't have like the current practices. I, I'm getting a VM with my app, I'm pinning it into a GPU, I'm going to launch, I'm still paying the same cost of the GPU. Uh, I'm running and I'm writing my code and I have a GPU, I'm wasting huge amount of, of power and resources. And also when I'm allocating a single GPU to a single person, that means that if he needs to run a big job that you know, would benefit from running the same job on four GPUs, he just can't do it because the current practice today is sort of partitioning. Each one gets a, a slice. Um, the way that we're doing it is differently. We're essentially pooling resources. We, we take all the GPUs, we own them. Everyone that runs a job will get a bunch of GPUs, we distribute the app on those a bunch of GPUs and free them up. So you gain two two things. One is that you accelerate your performance significantly. It could be ten times faster because you're pulling multiple GPUs into the same uh, same app, or even hundred times faster just by looking at the value of, of GPUs. The second is you you reduce your bill significantly because the same resources are now fully utilized. And we have other technologies, even within the serverless technology, that know how to maximize the parallelism of the GPU itself. We've, we've done benchmark where in a Nucleo, the serverless engine that we, we have against a simple code that you write yourself was four times faster, uh, just moving your code into a Nucleo function with GPU because Nucleo knows how to manage the GPU resources in sort of a parallel uh, way. So uh, through that, it provides simplicity on one end, but also uh, saves huge amount of time 
for the data scientists and eventually also save a huge amount of cost. So, Yaron, I, I understand that you guys are leveraging something called Kubeflow. So, could you first tell us what Kubeflow is and then how Iguazio is leveraging Kubeflow? Yeah, so uh, Kubeflow is a, a set of uh, data science and machine learning tools on top of Kubernetes. It's an open source project led, led by uh, uh, Google. Um, it provides sort of all uh, two or, or a few um, elements. One is um, small, you know, automation layers called operators to run various workloads in a parallel mechanism over Kubernetes. For example, you can run your deep learning job and you want to distribute it on five containers on Kubernetes, there is a, an operator uh, called MPI job to do so. So there are a few of those operators to run different workloads. And the second thing, there's um, something called Kubeflow pipelines, which is a mechanism to build pipelines like graphs saying, for example, I need to do data collection and then I need to do data analytics and prepare the data. And then I may want to run some training and then some testing. Etc. So that's a pipeline or a DAG that you want to build. Uh, people are familiar with things like Airflow or uh, Jenkins or in the same ballpark, but more oriented towards machine learning and AI. Uh, the challenge with that is any open source project, uh, especially new ones, that it's very hard to make this thing work, especially when you're starting to integrate data around it, when people want everything uh, control, where you need to provide user security that Every user that runs something falls under a certain set of restrictions and data access policies. Uh, so that's quite challenging Kubeflow. So what we deliver part of a solution, we've taken the, the Kubeflow and added stuff around it to make it more enterprise grade. And we provide a managed Kubeflow service on our platform. So essentially our platform, think of it, have few managed services. It have managed services that are equivalent to like uh, Amazon EMR and Spark and all that. It has serverless functions equivalent to Lambda and few other services. And Kubeflow is one of those managed services that we take Kubeflow, we wrap it with lots of security and data access policies and single sign-on and, and all that. We provide further automation on top of Kubeflow of essentially being able to simplify those pipelines through uh, serverless functions. And we provide all the integration with the NetApp Trident and with our data real-time data layers. So now a user that wants to play with Kubeflow, which is becoming the not dominant for machine learning uh, operations or sort of DevOps for machine learning uh, facility, they could just consume it as a service uh, and not install all the various components, make sure it works. Every time there's a version change, do it again and again. Now you can just go and consume it as a service. So your own one question from my side, we're getting a lot of uh, this request or questions from the, you know, the field, NetApp field or the customers. So what if, what if someone still uses Spark and other tools? Do you guys preserve those tools? So do you still, if someone switches to Iguazio or starts using Iguazio, um, do you still support those tools? Yes, of course. So there are a few ways about it. You know, the biggest uh, challenge with the uh, Hadoop migrations is usually the data not necessarily the computation, because people have, you know, data have gravity. They may have things on Hadoop. So all the tools that we have on our platform, all those services, the managed Spark, Hive, Presto, as well as all the analytics, all the data science things, you know, the TensorFlows and the Kubeflows, they can work against data in the Hadoop cluster. And there's also some Hadoop emulation. They could use some of the Hadoop tools to do so on our platform against external data. We could also have 
Hadoop emulation on top of Kubernetes for data on NetApp and on Equasio and, and do the exactly the, the same. So the typical use case that we'll see, they'll, you know, the Hadoop has its own scheduler, something called Yarn. It's extremely ancient. And one of the biggest challenges we see in Hadoop is that because of the, you know, some com companies are closed doors like MapR and Cloudera and Hortonworks are sort of shrinking, uh, there is a very big problem about maintenance of the Hadoop code. So the first thing people would like to move from Hadoop and Yarn uh, away would be the, you know, the actual computation frameworks like Spark, et cetera. So that's very easy migration. They could actually work with Elastic Spark, which looks exactly like the one that they have on Hadoop, just running on our uh, Kubernetes uh, service and attach it to data on Hadoop. They could also do the other way around, by the way. They can run Spark on their cluster and use a, a JAR, you know, Java library, plug it in their uh, Spark and, and access the Iguazu cluster from the other way around. Although I see that that's uh, less and less being used. That was the, our original uh, approach a few years ago because we, we came as a solution that attaches to Hadoop clusters. But over time, we saw that more and more people are trying to leave Hadoop, especially on the software side, the, com the computation frameworks. No one really uses MapReduce or Pig or some of those ancient tools anymore. The real focus is on more modern services like Spark, Presto, et cetera, uh, that are being containerized and moved to Kubernetes. Um, and then just attaching those to the, your existing data lake that be, will be with HDFS. So as far as uh, Iguazio goes, do you have any place that I can go to look for more information? I mean, is it just the website? Do you have video demos on YouTube? What sort of resources are out there? Uh, so there are a lot of resources. So you can find uh, my blogs in Towards Data Science. I have a bunch of those. Um, I'm also writing for other publications. You could go to Iguazio website. We have many Git repos. Many of the technologies that I mentioned are uh, open source. I think we have about 30 uh, Git repos, uh, so we, and we have full suites of demos. So we have uh, demos of, for example, real-time face recognition demo. It includes everything from the software that capture images on your laptop to uh, pushing it up to the cloud to analyzing the images, tagging images, uh, serving those. Uh, we have examples on like predictive uh, maintenance, anywhere from simulators that generate fake data for sensors and, and analyzing those to actually doing showing trends of, uh, of failures and anomalies on, on stuff. So we have uh, we created full demos. Just uh, one of the power, as I mentioned before, is the ability to build very complex solutions in a very, in a very simple way using sort of uh, serverless building blocks. So uh, that's why we, we build those complex end-to-end -end solutions that People can see how the transition to Iguazio make all those uh, things that are usually a 12 months project, something that you can just go and assemble and, and run. And Jose, what about from the NetApp side? Do we have anything on our end? Yeah, definitely. So we uh, we have uh, came up with a blog post that you can uh, see it on my uh, blog post uh, or, or on my blog page on NetApp, as well as the solution brief we have. Um, so for NetApp folks, they can uh, either reach out to me or they can go to the field portal or the blog post uh, repository and they can pull up the Iguazio blog. Excellent. All right, Hoseb, Yaron, and Ori, thanks for joining us today and telling us all about what's great with Iguazio and NetApp. 
All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank host of Dermillion, Yaron Habib, and Ori Levron for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.